Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, in fabulous Las Vegas, right in the middle of the World Series of Poker And you guys are finally going to get to meet someone that I have mentioned, oh, I don't know, seven or 8,000 times on the podcast. He is a dear friend of mine. He's also one of the best poker players in the world. And I defy you to uh, prove me wrong about that. He's from Stockholm, Sweden. Anton Wig, how are you, sir? Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> what, what an intro. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm very good. Yeah. Uh, had a nice couple of days. Like you said, it's nice to be in fabulous Las Vegas. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I'm always stoked to talk to you as well. You're one of my best friends and I always just cherish every single second spending time with you. So yeah, here we are. And so nice to be together in person yeah, for nice. this weird summer in the fall. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a really special time uh it feels like the world kind of stopped in a sense it didn't stop for me personally but but like uh, meeting all these friends again like yourself a bunch of my other like dear friends i haven't seen in a long time you just kind of used to having this relationship right when you're gonna get to see each other like at at least a couple of times a year and that hasn't been the case so when i meet my friends everyone just has like big news like what changed in their lives like how did the being locked up for a while changed your perspective on things and yeah it's been uh it's been really good getting back to some light poker uh spending time with friends making the most of it you sound like things didn't necessarily come to a screeching halt for you so what was different about your lockdown as opposed to everybody else's well like starting when it started, well, I mean, we all didn't have any clue what was going on. Right? Like <laughs> right, I was, right. I was in, I was at Bay One Hundred One, yeah. and I've heard, you know, like the news about COVID, and you kind of like not know what it is, and it's like, oh, there's some cases here and there. And then I remember sitting in that tournament at at Bay, and people start whispering, like, Trump is shutting down the borders. Trump is shutting down the borders. I'm like, <laughs> shit, I don't want to get stuck in. Uh, a place I don't live, you know, like not having my my setup and all that stuff. So when I busted out the tournament, made sure to find one of the direct flights back to Europe. And as I realized that this was going to be a longer kind of ongoing thing and that I was going to be landlocked for time, I thought, like, this is a really good opportunity for me. I'm always moving. I'm always on the road. Um, and... You know, like they say, like the grass is always greener on the other side. Like that's kind of how I saw this situation playing out. I'm going to be in one place for a long time and therefore I can plan my life in a different way. So, I mean, we can get into a little bit like what I did as well. But I saw it as an opportunity, I think it's a good way to uh, to look at things. Like, you know, your circumstances are always going to change. Things will always change in the world one way or another. It might be good, it might be bad, but to be in this like triple threat ready mode always just makes it so that you can make the most of it. And I really feel like I did. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you mean by triple threat ready mode? What help people understand what you mean by that? 
Uh, triple threat is a basketball term uh, where you want to be ready to, like once you receive the ball, you want to be ready to dribble, pass, or shoot, right? So you always have like th- your three options. So when you get the ball, you want to be in triple threat mode. I learned this by watching a Ben Salsky video around it once where he's on his treadmill and he's talking about, <laughs> you know, this <laughs> ready, set, go kind of, uh, kind of mindset and how it applies to poker. And yeah, I resonate a lot with that. I think it's like a smart way of conducting your life and, and just like taking ownership of everything from a poker hand that you play to your life in general. Yeah, yeah I love it. Now, in my world, uh, the performing arts, the triple threat is someone who can sing, act, and dance. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that's what you were talking about. So you meant it in basketball terms. I but. can almost do all those things. <laughs> I mean, like, granted, not, not as good as a, as a paid performer, <laughs> right. but I'm, I'm all right. You can hold your own. You can yeah. hold your own. You know, it's funny, speaking of performing, you and I actually met because our mutual friend, Tony Dunst, as seen on TV, Tony Dunst, uh, we were in Australia, and we were all playing in the Aussie Millions, uh, the side events. The main event hadn't started yet, and it seemed like a good night uh, for me to invite Tony. He told me he didn't have uh, any tournament schedule for the next day. Happened to be the day that I was going to be performing at the Last Laugh Comedy Club in downtown Melbourne, and he said, yeah, I'll bring some some bros, you know. I was like, okay, that sounds great. Uh, just tell me how many tickets, I'll, I'll hook you guys up, whatever the case may be. So, you know, Tony invites seven or eight crushers, <laughs> just absolute, to me, like my eyes were bugging out of my head, some of the people that were in that group uh, that were in my comedy show because they were my my poker heroes. But I didn't know you. You were young, new on the scene, basically, at least for me. Uh, and But everyone was pointing you out to me, like that's the guy. He's the one that's that you can learn from because they all respected your game. What all those other guys had in common was they all respected your game. So I ended up spending a lot of time with you on that trip. And then, of course, we became friends. And then the next thing I know, I'm in Sweden and you're saying, why don't you stay with me? And I get to watch you play online poker and learn a lot about poker just from observing how you play and then you know, you're somehow able to play 24 tables and still explain to me what you're doing <laughs> on table number 12. I don't know how you do so many all at once. But, you know, I want to say more importantly, what I learned from you is about work-life balance. And it's good to be an expert at something as you are, but you're also very, very much uh, almost like romantically attached to the idea of I'm not just a poker player. So talk about that a little bit. Why is that so important to you? Well, I don't remember who told me this, but someone told me this a long time ago. And they said, there's two types of poker players. There's one kind that can only play poker <laughs> and there's another kind that can do anything. And I've always found myself drawn to the kind that can do anything that is versatile, that has things going on, that has an idea with what they want you know, out of this experience. Um, so as that was being put to me, I'm a very simple man, you know, I'm a very, very simple person <laughs> yes. and I live my life by, by these fundamental truths. So when someone presents something to me and I see that as something that is like very much true, I resonate a lot with that. I try to also integrate it. So when that person, whoever it is, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're out there, like, thank you so much. 
I realized that I wanted to be the kind of poker player that could do anything and that can do anything. And uh, I think I've made good on following that path. And as we said earlier, it was a really good time for me to start taking that to the next level during this this past 18 months, you know, being landlocked and uh, having access to a lot of great people around me, uh, picking their brain on anything from, you know, biohacking to uh, visualization, breath work, yoga, uh, poker theory, of course. Yes. Uh, and you like how that translates to the results that you want, you know, so that's really something that's dear to me and why it's dear to me is not just because I want to like optimize my own life and make sure to uh, make money and you know like I I want to like try to change the conversation from making money and that being valuable to how do we generate value how do we generate value for each other and you know if that means me giving up a very minuscule edge here and there like I don't care you know that's not why I'm put here and the way I see it I'm also not super interested in being in the spotlight like I'm not a person that's drawn towards the spotlight I've tried that I've tried it in like a professional role and just didn't love it that much because I felt like I wasn't doing the thing that I wanted to do I had to like generate a persona that fit the brand that I was representing you know which is all good and well you know like to each your own I'm not knocking anyone that does that uh, but it just wasn't for me. So you want to be a triple threat, but also a free agent. Well, I just want to do what I like to do, right? Like that, that to me is what is valuable. That's what fills my life with purpose, with happiness, with the people I want to surround myself with, with people that are like very happy to contribute for for the just the sake of growth and just the sake of, of doing something and doing it well and i think that to me is really really valuable and and as i said like i don't want to be i could be in the spotlight but for the right reasons and if that's not the case then i'll happily stay out of it you know yeah yeah well that's really good uh so walk us through kind of uh maybe a typical day in the life of anton wig in the middle of a pandemic and you're doing breath work and yoga and studying and and learning from these people that were in your life at that at that dark time, right? Tell us what, kind of what it was what it was like. Where you don't have the usual places you can go. You don't have all the normal amenities of of life that we've come to expect. Uh, how did that work? And how did you stay so positive throughout? Well, I mean, on the note of staying positive, I, I can't help myself. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's it's like it, it's it's not a it's not a choice. Uh, it's just more like, uh, well, I guess I guess it is a it is a choice. Like I I I, I constantly make the choice of making sure that. If I'm not feeling right, I do something about it. You know, like being a bit radical in my self-reliance and and how I structure my life in a way that, you know, like do whatever you need to do. If you need to clean the house to make yourself feel good, like that's what you should do. If you need to uh, get out in nature or like whatever it is that that kind of like resets your brain and makes you vibrate on on that kind of frequency, uh, I think it's important to like find 
find that thing. So anyways, on the note of positivity, I think it's it's easy for me because I've integrated so many tools that can uh, help me switch my mindset from one second to another. You know, like just making that choice and saying like, oh, I don't like how I'm feeling right now. So I should try to acknowledge the fact that something led to this and learn from that. But also you switch my mindset to something that that drives me and that uh, makes me feel good instead. Uh, but as a, as for a typical day, it was, I would say, very unsustainable long term to, mm. to do what I did. Uh, I worked... I guess I averaged like 10, 11, probably 11, 12 hours a day, uh, just like doing these systematic uh, type of things, like getting up in the morning, uh, doing some meditation, doing my 30 minute to an hour yoga, uh, cooking a small meal, then sitting down, having meetings with so many people that I was interested in uh, developing a more systematic approach with, uh, learning from them, uh, setting. Uh, so like the first questions you need to ask yourself if you want to work with people is what is these people as an entity want, right? Like how can I make them work in a way that they enjoy what we do? Uh, how can I make them passionate about what it is that we're doing and how can I make it so that they feel like they're part of something you know like and this is this is what I'm good at like this is I think one of my biggest strengths is to identify what drives people and then translate that into something that they themselves can resonate with and can uh, work with and I think a lot of people a lot of people don't ask themselves those fundamental questions. And my job is to, you know, send out surveys to a bunch of people, <laughs> look at the feedback that I'm getting and thinking, hmm, what is this uh, energy that they're putting out? Like, how can I translate that into something that is like, I don't know, I use the matrix as a reference point, you know, like uh, creating these visual identity manifestos that has all the important feedback from these people and then saying like oh so i guess you're on a hero's journey you know and what better hero's journey than the matrix or now dune as well fantastic book by the way just uh absolutely amazing uh, i think it's an even better hero's journey than the matrix yeah um, i mean dune was a underrated book i think when it came out and then i think they made a movie I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, but now there's a, a new one that's coming out. So Dune is back on people's radar, right? Yeah, don't don't see the old David Lynch one. It's <laughs> absolutely horrid. It's so bad, bro. Like, don't don't watch yeah. that one. I I watch it and, and I'm very rarely like turn off a movie after I'm halfway in and that was one of them. It's, yeah. It's also the one work that he's like kind of distanced himself from he's like oh that was that was a mistake you know oh, like, i sh should not have been doing this yeah. yeah so i never saw i never saw the movie good don't uh and i won't but i there's a lot of movies i haven't seen but i definitely read that book or to be more precise my brother used to read that book my brothers and i shared one bedroom i have two brothers we all shared one bedroom uh growing up and he my older brother i'm in the middle my older brother would read to my younger brother and me and we definitely did that whole book. We do like a chapter a night as a bedtime story. So I'm learning this 
hero's journey when I was maybe, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. And yeah, th that book, the plot of that story uh, has stuck with me all these years. And it is a great, great novel, great hero story. I don't know, futuristic, science fiction, whatever you want to call it, but it's really, really great. Now, I want to go back to something you were saying, because I, I think probably everyone's a little confused. What do you mean that you were having meetings with people that you wanted to get feedback from? Uh, you sound like a CEO. Are you a CEO? <laughs> I've been I've been described as a startup. Yeah. Uh, so, I, so I think I'm more I'm more of a startup. Um, you know, in in any type of structure that you're looking to build, you have to have mm -hmm. someone that is responsible for X Y Z things. Let's call me Y. You know, mm -hmm. I'm the Y person in in this organization, and uh, I'm just looking to to build things and to learn from people around me. And that's not just you know doing work in poker. It is also sharing resources in terms of having a coach that helps us with yoga visualization like all these things that you need in order to perform on a high level in a very competitive field which poker is right now more and competitive than ever yeah exactly and yeah. and that's not going to stop i mean like if if someone thinks that's going to be the case then it's just not it's just not the truth we have access to so much information data uh, computers that can now do very complex problem solving without using, you know, like an insane amount of CPU. And as technology progresses, that's just going to be the case. And then, of course, like, you know, you come to Las Vegas and they, <laughs> you always hear these people, right? Like you sit down at the table and there's some guys like, yeah, I'm doing meditation every day. I'm working with Pio. And, you know, like they, 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 they're like really like upselling themselves and then like they, they get bad beat at once. And it's not even like a bad, bad beat. And all of a sudden, like, you know, fuck bio, fuck meditation. Like you're a fucking asshole. Pure tilt. Right? Well, right, yeah, yeah. right. So it's like, you know, where do you get your edge? Uh, you get your edge by, by staying a bit even keel and, and. Some people, they, I think, need to like stay more even keeled than others. And other people want to be a little bit more in their emotions. But once that starts affecting their decision making and that type of thing, then you're just leaving a lot of EB at the table, right? Yeah, I heard a, a poker player, you just remind me, I heard a, a player at the table the other day say, you know, I, I'm not a bad sport. I just really hate to lose. And this one stuck with me because I don't know one person who likes to lose. Like, of course you hate to lose, but isn't it really about how well you can handle it and and move forward rather than staying in the past? I mean, what are your thoughts on, do you do you love losing? Because I don't. I mean, my comment to him would have just been like, oh, welcome to tournament poker, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Even the best lose almost every time, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, like, it's a good point in that. I think, like, I think we all suffer from this. Like, no matter how rational you are like that that hand when you bust the tournament still stings and all the yeah. things that lead up to it it's just like kind of like this blur of things you're like oh well that that guy that you know ran his ace king into my ace queen like, see you later buddy you know <laughs> yeah. and and i think it's like it just says something about humans in general like of course we like to win of course we like to feel good but if you can if you can deal with that in a way where you're still 
gracious in the feed. You know, you always see these guys and at the tables and they're, they're so happy. They win a couple of pots and they're all shatty and they're all happy. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, like care about the tournament or anything like that. But what I would like to see from people is, is a little bit more grace and, and a little bit more balance in that to be like, you know, you can still remain positive even though you just lost a pot. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you. It's really dreadful and I hope that doesn't stick with you for, for the rest of your life. But mm, how, you, how you handle with adversity is another, you know, like that's just going to determine how you do in life in general. You know, and I've been with you, Anton, yeah. when you, you busted on the bubble of some big tournament you're playing. And, you know, for five, ten minutes, you're, you know, steaming a little bit, you know, disappointed, angry, whatever kind of emotion will come out. And literally ten minutes later, you're like, hey, you want to go get some food and let's go hang out. I got some friends that are going to meet us. You know, it's just where some people might just want to lock themselves in a room and, and be miserable for the rest of the day. Your time of like bouncing back from some tremendous poker disappointment seems unbelievably short to me compared with most of my other poker playing friends. Do you think that has a lot to do with kind of this um, approach to life that involves like this discipline of doing the yoga, the meditation, the breathing and all of those other things? Do you think that that impacts your ability to kind of uh, rebound from some bad news? That's a really good question. Um, I think, I think the most important thing is not, like the practice in itself. I think the important thing is the things that you learn by, you know, diving a little bit deeper or, or discovering, you know, like how these things work and how they, how they kind of like relate to you as an individual, you know, like there's no one fits all type of solution. Yeah. But I think one of the, one of the things I learned going through this, uh, 28 day meditation program with the waking up app was that what had held me back uh, previously that I learned to kind of like change my neural pathways to not fire in that sense was that I wasn't I'm not a very judgmental person but I was judging myself so when I wrong when I did something I I didn't think was good instead of kind of acknowledging that and learning from that then moving forward uh what i did was kind of like beat myself up for that or being hard on myself for it and i never like really learned from my mistakes that way because i just wanted to subconsciously shovel those out of the way and move on with my life and learning that you don't have to judge something in order to uh, see clearly so like taking that time taking those 10 minutes a day you know where you sit down and what you're trying to do is kind of like empty your mind mm -hmm. i'm like doing these like air quotes here yeah yeah uh what you're really doing is allowing whatever it is to be and it's like kind of a radical acceptance uh way of approaching the thing this mind thing that we have that is like a hundred percent of your con like waking day sleeping day goes through your mind so you know if you can if you can put your mind uh and like just do like basic maintenance right like go to the gym 
work out every now and then, make sure that it's not like uh, an untrained mind. It just makes it so that you have this, again, triple threat type of mindset where your mind is like, oh, the ball is being thrown to me. I wasn't really ready for it, but I guess I can now pass, shoot, or dribble, and I don't have to hold on to something that doesn't serve me. I can I can choose to pass the ball if I need to. I can stand there and dribble the ball or I'm ready to shoot. And, and that's a huge one as well. You know, like it is a, uh, something people always say, you know, you miss 100% of the shots that you always take. But I, but I think that's like, it runs deeper than that. It runs to, like you said, like I could go home and uh, feel bad for myself for busting this tournament or, you know, like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy three out of me and like huge pot or yeah. whatever. Like, why am I not winning any flips? But that would just like, who's suffering from that, right? There's no one else in the world that's going to be like, oh, poor Anton. Like, we're just going to be here and like, you know, like, uh, we're going to be here at his funeral and, you know, say a few nice words about his, his like, what a great life he had. Yeah. It's like, no, man, like, no one really cares as much about you as you think they do. And, and that's, uh, that's really comforting to me. It might sound really like someone might see it as like, oh, that's so negative. But it's like people really don't i find it very comforting that that you can make mistakes and people won't think of it nearly as much as you do so getting out of our own head and into this mm, more like ready mode to say okay well maybe i didn't like that myself so how can i change that and how can i stay in the present moment and move forward and not have to like dwell in that memory of like oh that stupid thing that you said like (laughs) i can't believe that i said that to this person and then you wait like you're going for a month and it's just like still there and you come to this person at a you know party or dinner party or whatever you're like man i'm so sorry like that that thing i just (laughs) that thing i said is like it was so stupid they're like i have no idea what you're talking about (laughs) You seem like a really nice guy, and I appreciate like like you you thought about that still, but don't worry about it. You know, like it's fine. Yeah, they don't care. They don't care about us as much as we think. But I'm very guilty of that myself. Like anytime I go to a, a social engagement, especially if there are any important people there, I always second guess myself. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. This famous guy i said something. I was trying to make a joke, but maybe he doesn't think I'm funny. And like all my stupid insecurities come into play when probably the guy doesn't even remember me after the party's over like it's probably so immaterial but in my in my brain i'm making it bigger than than what it needs to be or or what it actually is and that's i think something that we can all learn not to do because you just end up wasting valuable resources like your brain cells on something that's literally unimportant yeah and i think i think people are so much more uh, kind of like subconsciously aware of these situations. So say you're someone, like you said, someone famous, someone with influence. Like, who do you want to hang out with? Well, someone that doesn't see you as this persona that right. is famous and like influential. Because that way you're like, oh, do they want something from me? Uh, you know, like, is there an angle that I have to like stay mindful of instead? Just being there and being present and treating this other person like a person, I think, is is a really... Is not just nice towards that person, which it is. But if you if you're gonna think about 
serving yourself uh, and getting into the room that you might want to be in, it's something that's going to serve you as well. You know, like just, just being, again, air quotes, cool uh, is something that people feel at ease with. It's something that you give to other people. And by doing that, you allow them to, you know, be a little bit more themselves, be a little bit more open. They know that this guy isn't going for an angle or uh, whatever. and Judging you or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So as we're, uh, as we're going through this, still stay mindful of that. I'm pretty much everything I do is self-serving one way or another and differentiating between self-serving good and self-serving bad, I think is the balance that we're always trying like that I'm personally trying to maintain so that I'm not walking around judging myself or other people in the situations that I get into while also remaining clear that, you know, I have my boundaries. I have my, uh, limitations or have conversations that I would prefer not to have you know I, I accept that you might be in others another place and that you might find these things much more interesting than I do but I need to uh, make sure to live my life the way I want to to live it without imposing myself too much on other people that's beautiful I mean you have so much wisdom you're younger than I am much much younger than I am. And yet we were immediately friends. When we met, I feel like we hit it off right away. We've been friends ever since. And I consider you a mentor. And I think it's very unusual for two men who are you know, divergent in age for the older one to look up to the younger one. But there's just something that I've always admired about you, which is your, your wisdom and the way that you're always working on yourself. That quality in itself to me is admirable because not everyone I know cares about trying to improve. You treat life as though the goal is to be the best that you can, not at poker necessarily, but at life. And that's a, a wonderful quality to have. So uh, I want to make sure that my listeners don't hate me forever because I have Anton Wig on the program and we don't talk about poker. <laughs> we'll get there, so I think we have to get to the poker. Well, but... I mean, like, bef before getting to the poker, I just want to say that that's very reciprocated. I think like, I think on that note, it's very important to kind of like make sure that in your relationship, that in your relationships that you have in your life, that you're also, uh, that you're you're like getting something back you know like you have a reciprocal relationship both parties are like these like instead of 50 50 it's 60 60 right like both parties come into a situation and like we're trying to help each other as much as possible right so you say you look you look up to me and i'm very happy for that it's a very very nice compliment uh for me to hear because that's what i'm striving to do right like getting a receipt on that is very nice uh and on the flip side of that, I feel the exact same way about you. Like the way you are in the world, the way people relate to you, the way you make people feel at ease, the way you see the bright side, you know, like a lot of stand-up comedians, I met a lot of them through you. They have like this more um, attachment to the dark side, which is which is good. You know, like that's why they're funny because they can resonate <laughs> with all these things that people are like, oh, shit. Like yeah, that, yeah, that's that exactly yeah, that's yeah. Like exactly how I feel as well. Uh, but you've always been this very positive influence and you can tell, you know, like the moment you, I met you, I was like, wow, this, this guy really has something 
that I want to be around. He has this energy that I really resonate with. And what do you know? Like, it turns out I can provide something for you as well. And that's why we have a really beautiful friendship and a yeah. beautiful relationship. Right? I love what you said about 60-60 instead of 50-50. Because, yeah, yeah that's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, where are those, those extra 20%? Where, where do they go, right? Like, they go towards our future. Like, that's, that's growth. That's value. That's valuable. Uh, and that's valuable to both parties. But if you find yourself in a, in a situation where... I'm not saying that it should always be 60-60. Sometimes your friend is going to need your help. Sometimes you're gonna, he's going to be at 20. He or she is going to be at 20%. And we are always there to pick up the 80 or 90%. You know, That's what friends do. Right. But if you find yourself in a relationship where that's always the case, where you're always the person that puts in more effort, then that's something that you should A, address with your friend and be very upfront and honest about because... If not, you're not being a friend. And if that continues after you've had that conversation and again and again and again, right? Like then you have a problem that's bigger than that. I think people, we could really use a little bit more honesty in the world. I think yeah. it's it's up to each and every one to kind of like help each other to elevate and set uh, expectations of how we expect our friends to, to be around you. And, you know, like I'm here now on this podcast, like it sounds... It sounds so uh, serious, you know, like I don't want to make this like a super serious conversation. But uh, as we're kind of like wrapping up that chapter, I think it's important for everyone to kind of like just take those 10 minutes a day. You don't have to sit down and meditate. You can just sit down and think about that relationship and just let it be and, and see what comes out because there's a lot of magic that happens mm-hmm. in the stillness when we're not constantly distracted with other things and I think that's like the biggest benefit of making a little bit of space for yourself yeah. to allow yourself to think and to allow yourself to feel you know now one thing we do talk a lot about because I really hear what you're saying one thing we talk a lot about on the podcast is the importance of having a network uh, you know a crew if you will other poker players that you can discuss hands with or talk about strategies, you know, things like that. And you have uh, a very impressive crew that you are a part of. Um, do you feel like part of the requirements to be in that crew would be what we're talking about now is that you're not always lifting the other person up, but sometimes that person is lifting you up as well. Is that something you look for in your, I mean, poker buddies, if you will? Definitely. And I, and I think it's like, we're not like, like, if we're onboarding someone in the process of what we're doing, the things that we're looking for is that type of mindset, you know, like, it's very, it's not only that, you know, we're not expecting anyone to come in at a certain level, but it is a requirement just as a friend to to be of the mindset of elevating others or or this is not the right place for you you know like um, and that varies you know that like that varies on a scale from uh, a minimum of 50 percent to 100 percent you know and then that's that's a that's how group dynamics work but if you don't have 50 percent then that's that's where we draw the line you know if you're not coming in with at least like well 51 percent you're just like trying yeah. you know to, yeah. to get past that <laughs> yeah. then then it's definitely not the right place 
uh, or not the right time. You know, it doesn't have to be that it's not the right place, but it might not just not be the right time in life, which we're, you know, uh, always mindful of. And, and the times when I've had, you know, more professional relationships uh, with friends that where I felt like we didn't have that reciprocal relationship. We always had a conversation. I always had a conversation with that person. And the nice thing about those conversations was that generally it was because their objectives were different and they didn't know how to express that, you know, I want to go, um, I want to go to Mars instead of the moon. And I'm like, okay, but we're on a, we're on a journey to the moon. So if you want to go to Mars, then we should probably like split ways here. And, you know, some people come to you and say that. And some people don't. But when I've had that conversation, it's always been a really nice one. It's always been a really good one. It's never been any bad blood. It's just like, all right, maybe I'll see you on Mars next time. Maybe you'll like venture to the moon and come for a vacation. Uh, so... So yeah, I think it's uh, as long as people, as long as the people that you work with have the right intention and and like put in right effort, uh, there's never any any problems as long as you have good communication. That's it. Communication is the key. I think I've heard that before, but yeah, maybe not in this exact context. It was, but it yeah. was me. It was me. Oh, is it you? <laughs> <laughs> you you have copyright rights, so <laughs> trademark on that one. Communication That's it. That's is it. key. That's it. Keep the royalties coming. Yeah, yeah, you should be very, very rich from that. Forget the startup. Communication is key. All right. So let me ask you some poker, more specific poker related questions because I've noticed that you have been in the game for quite a while now, over a decade. And you've always been uh, one of the best players that I know, one of the best players there are. But the game has changed a lot. So. Talk about how you used to play and what what gave you success kind of early in your career when you were so young and new at this, uh, but you kind of came bursting onto the scene and just had so much success early. But then as the game evolves, and now we hear about training sites and solvers and all these things that have sort of come into play after you were already established, at least online and also on the EPT as well. So kind of talk about that journey a little bit and how you've been able to adapt and stay, uh, you know, at or near the top of the of the poker world. Relevant. Yes. yes. <laughs> how, how have you stayed relevant? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's I think it's kind of like it's it was it's humbling uh, when I started playing. You know, I I think I came from the right background. I'm very competitive. I used to play chess. I used to be pretty good at it. Uh, and I think that gave me like this edge in kind of understanding things by the nature and like what what, what drives uh, decision making in poker. And as people back then generally wasn't very strong technically, theoretically, we were all used to like kind of figuring out as as we went. Uh, I think that's where my edge came from. And at some point, that edge diminished when, you know, like all these Ukrainian kids started, that I used to beat up on now started beating me. And it was it was bloody, you know, like it was it was they beat me bad. I wasn't a loser in the games, but I wasn't like a big winner by any means. And I had to kind of think, do I is this what I want to continue doing? You know, like, is this my path? Is this what 
I want to get up in the morning, like at it being a punching bag for some Ukrainian 19 year old. <laughs> like, you know, is this is this what I want to do? And um, I just decided to take some time off to recalibrate. I studied philosophy for, you know, one semester and uh, want to, you know, like engage myself a little bit politically, want to a bunch of uh, these like TEDx or Burning Man initiatives, just seeing what was out there, uh, what was available. And uh, as we all know, you know, like poker is one of these games that keeps pulling us back in because it's so um, entertaining it's just so thrilling to to play the game and I felt like you know what like I put in 10 years of my life in this and I never got to a level that I can say that I'm like really proud of my accomplishments I'm proud over how I did it at the time and I'm proud over all the friends I made and the things I've learned and the places I've seen but I never felt like I put in you know like 100% of my effort so coming out of that hiatus I was much more sure than I was before that this is what I wanted to do. But in order to do that, I had to do it right. Like this time, let's do it right. And as so happens, I ended up final tabling this uh, Party Poker Millions, the first one they had online. And uh, a friend of mine is John Van Fleet, Ape Styles. Uh, So shout out. Uh, He was at the final table as well. ACR Pro, Jonathan Van Fleet, yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, Twitch streamer, Mm -hmm. you know, great stream. Um, So he was at the final table as well. Asso happened to be first hand at the final table. I got dealt pocket king. Some other guy got dealt pocket queens. And, you know, we play like a top three stack pot where we get it in pre-flop and he wins. And I was so devastated, you know, like I was so mm, for 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 a good 10 minutes, I felt like life was unfair. You know, I was like, I was like, what the fuck? You know, like I found myself in this spot, great spot, get it in great. And here I am. And you, you know, you're getting like a 15 buy ins back or something like that. And I was like, this was my spot. You know, like, how come I got robbed of this? Yes. And I just had to allow myself to give up. And uh, then John reached out and he said, you know what, like, uh, let's, if you want, let's uh, see that, like, the hands that we played together and uh, let's run run through them. Let's do a little segment on this. And as we were doing that, I was like, wow, like, this is how a professional works. You know, like, this is how he answers these questions that we all have. Like, this is how, this is how to do it. Uh, so then next step, like, okay, how can I start integrating this? How can I find the people to work with, uh, that can do this with me? Because doing it all myself, it seemed so overwhelming at the time. Sure. Um, and then I just started trying out. I have a lot of friends. I'm a social guy. Uh, I know a lot of, I'm, I'm really drawn to very smart people. I think they're all, it's always so interesting to get to pick their brain and to, to see how they think about things. And um, having that surrounding uh, just made it so that I could try. You know, I try with some friends. It's like, okay, maybe they weren't as motivated as I am. Uh, maybe they're going to Mars. <laughs> uh, 
So, but eventually I, I found the people that were going to the moon and that was going on the same type of path. And, and as we started this journey, we kept gravitating the same like-minded people because we made it fun. Like we're not, we're friends. We're working together, but it's supposed to be fun or we shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And that's how I got started with like more in-depth solver work and the role that i've taken on this journey is not i'm not the data generator i'm good at understanding heuristics like what drives the computer to do x y z things um what kind of lies behind the strategy integrating that discussing it seeing if we can tweak uh, strategies in a way that's more beneficial because we're not playing against the computer and GTO might be fear, like might be very fearful, you know. Uh, GTO is the computer trying to beat itself and then not being able to do that anymore, like that's the baseline, right? Sure. So when you're playing against a human opponent, almost everyone in the game is not going to execute a computer strategy perfectly. So what you're trying to do is see where the baseline is and that makes it so that you can understand uh, how to deviate and when to deviate and why that is good or why that is bad. Um, so I think before like getting into like, oh, should I have four seabed sizings on this board? You might want to ask yourself a more fundamental question of like, what's going to render the biggest mistakes from my opponent? How can I challenge my opponent's strategy to be really tough? How can I simplify my strategy so that my decisions are kind of easy, you know? And from there, step by step, learn to integrate more depth, more analysis, more uh, versatility in, in your game. Instead of trying to start with uh, building Rome, you might want to start building the first rope, you know? And, and taking that approach has led me to i think now a very high level of expertise in poker uh having all the tools available is a really big gift but then you have to know with any tool you have to know how to use it right? of course and uh, you know back in the day we didn't have all these tools but even if we had there still would have been so many people that would just be you know absolutely drawing dead because they wouldn't understand how to use it and they might not have the drive that you had to want to become so good. Now I wonder, does Jonathan Van Fleet know the impact that he had on you? I mean, have you ever talked to him about that? I have, yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like I, I reached out to him after uh, after I got established, and 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 you said like, thank you so much. Like you're mm-hmm. you're the ignition uh, for this uh, path that I'm that I'm on right now and yeah I'm good good friends with him and uh, we talk poker every now and then and uh, uh, I really like what he's doing in poker as well you know he's like this very positive presence he's a very very kind and uh, open person I think we need a lot more in that you know we can I guess we can kind of segue to something that's pretty dear to me as I you know I'm very passionate about poker I'm passionate about the game and I have, an, I have a request for the listeners, you know. Uh, I think this is uh, really important for, for, po- like for poker in general is to see it not only as a game of gain, strategy, and, uh, and battle, and all these things. Like, sure, like there, there's, there's a large part of the game that uh, that's very important. 
you need like you, you want to be competitive and you want to be in there and compete but i think the other part is like poker is an entertainment product poker is something that is a lot of fun you can any given day beat the best player in the world and there's not a lot of other games where you can do that so as we have this entertainment product what are you as a poker player are you only a poker player or are you a poker player slash entertainer and i'm not saying that from like some like sociopathic like hey let's butter these guys up and but no like just make sure that when you sit at a table at least put in 51 percent. you know maybe 55 maybe 60 or maybe 80 on a bad day you know uh because what that does is it makes it so that the people that come here that might not be on the same level, that might not be there for the same reasons as you are, they have an enjoyable experience and and be a little bit sportsman-like about it, you know. Uh, don't berate the guy who made a really bad play because he doesn't have the same knowledge as you do, you know. As far as I'm concerned, you pay your entry fee to a tournament, you can do whatever the fuck you want <laughs> with your chips or... I mean, like, sure, like, you might you might get upset if someone puts a horrendous beat on you. I'm not saying, like, be a cold-ass robot. You're still a human, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, maybe just chuckle and be like, all right, well, that was great. <laughs> That's the way it goes sometimes. That's the way it yeah, goes yeah. sometimes, you know? Like, yeah. uh, and and by by doing so or like maybe ask the recreational at, at at your table like hey what's your story you know like maybe you'll gain you'll get something from that as well like maybe you'll learn something you didn't know just playing poker maybe this guy runs a ai software company somewhere you know like maybe this guy has a crazy story of how he ended up playing this tournament or or whatever it's like uh, have forming these reciprocal relationships it's is just very something that provides value both for the person individual that you're you're talking to and you know like you're great with this so i'm i'm like talking i'm uh, singing to the choir here a little <laughs> bit because you you really have that impact on, on people around you. you make it a very enjoyable experience for people and you said this the other day you're like well sometimes i'm not on but i still make an effort and i thought that was so admirable to like be a professional you know you show up at the table and you're like well i'm kind of funny so i'm going to provide that for people you know i'm going to make an enjoyable experience for them and lo and behold you know like five minutes later you're having a really good time yourself like by doing so and and uh, mirroring yourself in other people you're actually getting energy like yeah. you're it's it's it is at the end of the day oftentimes a very self-serving thing to do but it's a good self-serving it's yeah. not it's not the bad one no i want that energy yeah of course exactly. and that's why i'm on stage anyway but yes absolutely could not agree with this more of course you are preaching to the choir here because <laughs> i mean yeah i'm an entertainer of course i want to be entertained and i want to entertain but yeah there are some players where if i am in a great mood and i feel like being social and having some fun and maybe trying to make some people crack a smile or laugh I feel sad for the people who think that if they laugh or if they smile, that they're giving up something, like part of their edge. Like people have the misconception that part of your edge at the table is how serious you can be. 
you know, it that doesn't affect the cards or the chips or anything else or the strategy of the game. It doesn't mean that just because we're having fun that you're not really, really, really trying to win. You are, but it doesn't really cost you anything to try to make it more fun for everybody. And that's true when you're playing poker or paying the toll when you go across the bridge or buying candy at the drugstore. I, I don't care what you're doing. Trying to bring a little bit of joy to other people's lives, there's no reason why poker has to exclude that part of human nature. We all want to have fun, everybody, not just girls, <laughs> right? Girls just want to have fun, but so do boys. That's it. <laughs> now, speaking of boys who like to have fun, I know you had a, a hand we were supposed to talk about. If you have time, I know you have dinner plans and everything, but if I can get you to go through your, your hand because it's with a, a very well-known player who I have sat with for many, many, many hours at the Rio, and uh, he is a fun-loving guy. Yeah, he is. So the person we're talking about is Tony Miles. Yes. The second-place finisher. And the, uh, was it the last WSOP main event, or was it the one before that? Before like uh, It was 2018, 2018, which was the year that I, I got my deep run. That's it. And so I, I sat with Tony for a very long time. He is a, a fun character to have at your table he's a fun loving guy for sure yeah and from formidable player great um competitor you know very competitive guy but like he leaves it all at the table right like he is the uh, type of person that would lose the pot and still say hey let's go to dinner you know like it's uh, it's uh, more rare than it than it should be <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, I had the the pleasure and the displeasure of having me him on my left in the five k eight max here at the World Series, and I played a interesting pot against him that I I think I think I ended up making a mistake in. Uh, I haven't fact checked this hand in a solver, so you know oh, I use I use don't I'm just not sure, but I I can I can I think I can discern that it was a small mistake. Um, but let's talk about the things I did well. Right? Okay, yeah, so, let's let's talk through the hand. I think people would love to hear about how you approach a hand and the way you think about it during the game and also afterwards. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so folds to me in the hijack. I have a queen jack of diamonds. So I have an gonna auto open, every auto time, open yeah. to 2.5x. We're playing, you know, somewhere between, mm, I guess, like 50 and 100 big blinds effective with players behind. Okay. So 2.5x, uh, Tony's in the next seat, he three bets to, you know, like 3.3x sizing, so eight point something big blinds. Okay. Um, I think my decision here is, folds to me, my decision is quite clear. I have a hand that pretty much always wants to call. Uh, so I end up calling. Uh, the flop is the 10, 9... I think it was a three, four, or a five. So I flop an open ender. There is two hearts on the flop and one spade. I have diamonds. So I check. Tony bats around half the pot. Okay, so now we have the open ender. We two don't overs. and two Let's overs, right? We have an open Maybe. ender, two overs, probably, you know, at least some of the time they're going to be live. Uh we don't have any backdoor flush, right? So um, yeah, I think we can call. I think you could also maybe do the check raise. We're not really sure exactly how many chips we have. 
Oh well, we're playing around seventy-five big blinds. Oh, so okay. Like flop. So we're we're playing uh, what like there's twenty bigs in there, and we have uh, sixty-five big blinds back, so a little over three SPR. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think with that, I would probably prefer calling. I th- I think it's a little deep. Like we have, we just have too much equity to like. I think we want to be quite polarized in our check racing because you know we have some hands that really want to get in. We have ten nine pocket nines, pocket tens, bottom set, uh, and I think we have stronger draws that has more equity that we can push. Um, Queen Jack of Hearts. Well, right. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I I, I think Queen Jack of Hearts might be also too strong. Too, too strong. It's too strong to check race. You know, like you can easily check call twice with a hand like that. But you might have a, a low gutter and an open ender. You might have, you know, ace four of hearts. Uh, that, oh. that can clean out better ace highs that also has like knotted equity. And, you know, if we get it in against anything but like a set or pocket aces, we're in great shape, right? Makes sense. So, you know, like step one is in this triple threat type of mindset. It's like, what am I accomplishing by this? Am I pushing out a dominating hand? You know, will King Jack fold to check race? Like, mm, probably not. You might get shoved on, which would be really terrible. Mm. Um, and I think our hand just plays really well as a call. I, I would probably just for the sake of playing as a tough opponent, you should probably check raise it at a very low frequency in order to, you know, have some some of these hands in your range. So you can look at the clock, you can say, you know, <laughs> if it's the first ten seconds of a minute, then I might wanna <laughs> might wanna consider check raising it. Okay, okay. But uh yeah, just it's gonna be uh, mostly calling. Okay. So I call. The turn is a very interesting card is the jack filling the front flush draw. Oh, so it's jack of hearts. Yeah. So, so now, so now it's ten nine, four, five four three yeah. something like that, uh, and a jack that fills the front flush. Okay. So now, what ends up happening and why solvers are so great in this way is like there's a huge equity shift. The the equity in this hand shifts drastically. Like, I've already strengthened my range by calling the flop. I have something that wraps around this card. Uh, I have a few more suited hands than than he has. Uh, You know, like, I think we have the similar uh, not straight. uh, But I I think I have a slight advantage on this board. And what ends up happening in Solverland, when you have a slight advantage to Solver, you say, ooh, I can make a little bit of EV here. And so I decided to lead, which I think is a very strong play. I think leading for mostly a small size here is good. What ends up happening is you have a lot of hands like my hand. You might have something like queen nine suited, queen ten suited that wants to take the initiative, that wants to be able to bluff a river. Uh, You want to push some equity. Uh, You also don't want him to check behind when you have uh, flush when you have turn top two you know like you have all these hands that are very interested in getting a bet in and as for him since i have more of the the nudged hands and i'm leading a very high frequency here and i'm leading all those hands he can't really he's kind of handcuffed to to calling as a continue because by implementing uh, races he allows me to repolarize my range 
Now we're, now, yeah. now we're getting into like all these fancy words yeah, of, yeah. of like how that works but by doing so he's just putting too much money into the top of my range basically and and he's taking away his positional advantage so when a card lands that's generally a lot better for uh, the out of position range you should be leading quite a high frequency in order to not be facing you know like a big bet with his polar part of your range of his range and also challenge a lot of hands like ace king ace queen like all these hands that are now like very indifferent like their life is really terrible they're like they could be drawing that you know if they don't have a flush card they're, they're in really poor shape or he has a hand like uh, uh ace 10 that flop top pair top kicker you know like all these hands are now put in a really bad spot yeah ace 10 hates that jack so much because it's not only an over card to my pair but now it's the flush got there straights got there it's just a brutal card but can you just back up for a second if you could and help people including me understand why uh this card is so much better for your range than it is for tony's i mean doesn't he have all the flushes too well, if he's three betting 100% of his suited aces, if he's three betting 100% of his uh, king queen suited, queen jack suited, like, well, not queen jack suited because that's now a flush, right. but like, right. he doesn't have a lot of those combinations. And since the jack and ten is suited, he doesn't have ace ten suited, ace jack suited. So now he's stuck with like ace king suited, ace queen suited, some suited wheel aces. And wrong because color. because well because I'm assuming that he plays a very like fundamentally strong preflop strategy. Um, if you have a guy that's three betting like all of his continues here, you might <laughs> end up in a completely different spot, which is also a point for like solver work being very dependent on the input that you give it, right? But I think I think I have a decent idea of the range that he would three bet preflop, and that doesn't contain so many flushes. It's just like he's not gonna. Uh, three bet too many of the suited connectors that make it flush I'm always going to have all those he's not going to three bet all these like middling suited aces that is probably is calling in the cutoff uh, he's three betting them sometimes sure but I have all those hands so that's where I have like the flush advantage on this board great so you having the flush advantage can lead small here possibly with the intention of you know, like bombing it on the river if it's a brick because you you're representing a flush way better than he can. Yeah, and back to my specific hand, I have top pair and an open ender, right? So yeah, so you don't have nothing. You've well, got a strong like, hand already. I got a pretty strong hand. I'm beating a lot of his, you know, like one uh, flush card, ace king, ace queen, and that type of stuff. So which leads me to what I think is my mistake in the hand. Okay. Uh, so he calls, which uh, is not too surprising. Uh, he's gonna, you know, call all of his strong hands, call some decent draws, and call um, like things that are just too good that he needs to continue. Because I still have a lot of, you know, semi bluffs and and like uh, somewhat uh, questionable hands, like the queen nine, queen ten. So you know, he can't just like always end up folding an ace time because it's gonna like be the best hand a large amount of time also you offer him a pretty good price four to one right, oh, right. but yeah. he's, he's still in a very bad spot with yeah. his hands like i'm making it a hand like ace ten is a perfect example of a hand that starts being very indifferent in this line right okay great so the river is now a seven so it's ten nine five four three turn jack 
River Seven. So it's a four liner to an eight making a straight. Uh, the flush hit on the turn. And my decision is, should I check? Should I bluff this hand? You know, like the way the board runs out, I have a lot more 8x than he does. Uh, I have all these two pairs. I have more flushes than he does. And probably a little bit more king-queen, uh, especially like king-queen suited type stuff than, than he does pre-flop, depending on what his strategy looks like. And even though we don't have king king queen this time, we block it. Yeah, because exactly. we have the queen. Now this is interesting because it sounds to me like you're considering bluffing with top pair, which is something we normally don't do, right? Well, I figured, and and here's I think like my logic flawed a little bit. Uh, I figured like this was also such a good card for my range, and he still has. I mean, like there's just so many hands that are different, like aces, kings, queen, like like. Yeah. Uh, you know um ace jack ace 10 like there's just so many hands that are that are still like okay i still have all these flushes i have all these straights i have two pair to this line uh, and he has very few eights in his three yeah, batting range exactly. right yeah so okay. so i think in hindsight when i've like run around this hand through my head i think i should just be ending up checking a hand like this and consider buff catching if he bats the river uh, I should definitely be bluffing with my queen 10, queen 9 as they're like ending up at the very bottom of my range I think it's fine uh, you know from a balanced perspective to, to bet my specific hand as kind of like this mergy bluff type of thing I still like have so much value to this line that it's not gonna like it's not a punt by any means. I do, however, think the stronger play is to check my specific holding and bluff anything worse than mm-hmm. my hand kind of thing on this run out. I ended up bluffing because bluffing is fun. <laughs> 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 like, you know, like kind of bluffing and just like praying, like, please don't shove in my face. Right, right, right. <laughs> so how much, uh, what percentage of the pot did you put in there? Uh, I bet one third again. One third which again. I, which I okay. think like, on, you know, on the river, I'm going to be playing a split strategy. Uh, I think on the turn, my lead is going to be one third. Uh, I'd like to simplify my strategy. Like a solver would probably like to have some uh, percentage of bigger leads as well. But I'm just going to play like a lead range third of my continuous. Some hands like to check, and but the hands that I lead, I lead for one third. Okay, so now we can get caught by worse, right? He, well, he, he could look us up with ace ten. Some of the hands we mentioned, I think we can get action from with this bet, right? We we could, but, but, but like that's kind of the problem, right? Like our hand is just like slightly too good to bluff. I think like our hand like pretty much hits a line of, of what is acceptable and what is not. I think yeah. it makes for a really good like check call type of candidate as well. You know, we're blocking the king queen. We're blocking uh, him having pocket jacks or pocket queens. And right, then, right, like, right. Hands that even could consider value betting the river. Uh, so I think like. I should be playing some checks. I can't just be completely dead in the check line. So I think our hand makes for a pretty excellent check on the river. And you probably uh, call. But uh, I think more importantly, I mean, like, it's a very minor mistake. I can put that in. It's on the line, right? It's so on the you, line. Yeah. But I think a strong place to check it. And then I think you should also have two sizes. You should have an all-in sizing on the river. And this is going to go for, like, you could be... 
150 deep take this line and you should still have an all in sizing for like three times the pot on the river there's just some hands that are so incentivized to uh, you know like a nut flush type of hand that didn't check raise the pop that is drilled the nut flush on the turn that doesn't really like block so like a nut flush that has no pair type of thing is a great candidate to just go for like as much as possible um and then picking some hands that uh, match that type of range and some complete garbage that goes in. And then you want to have a one-third lead on the river that's going to contain uh, some flushes, you know, like uh, maybe a, a not flush that contains a pair as well that like blocks some of his, like say two pair hero calls and stuff like that. You want to for balance purposes, never not never have the, the nut flush when you're betting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's going to go into more like a one-third river. Like say you have a straight with an eight. It's not strong enough to put all your ships in the pot, but it's definitely worth a, like a value bet. Um, you're going to have some turn two pair, I think, makes for a great candidate. I think like uh, king-queen uh, might want to mix the two size things, right? So like now we're getting to this interesting part of the game tree, which if you play good ranges pre-flop and you have an idea of what your opponent does, you're just ending up in this um, kind of like vacuum situation where you kind of know what type of hands your opponents have and you also know clearly what type of hands that you have to this line. And what you're trying to do is make his decision as like hellish as possible. Right, like so, like everywhere he turns, it's gonna be like ah ah ah, and if you do that, you you've done a good job. So, yeah, you know. no matter the outcome, that's I mean that's what you're trying to do make yeah. his make his life hard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Unless you have some reason, and you're like, wow, every time someone play, plays a really small bet on this river, this guy just goes for it. Right, like then once you have more information, then um, use it then use it yeah. right like use it to the best of your knowledge and uh yeah that's i think it's a great hand it really sums up the game in a nice way we get to place three streets two that are you know like somewhat mundane you know like we can discern like okay this is probably the best play and then we get to uh place in the hand where it's like okay so like what are my strategic options like how can i mm, make it so that it's so tough for this very smart tough player to to play against my strategy right so help me understand because you know you're just on another level and i'm trying to keep up as best i can uh why is checking with this hand better than leading for one third pot in a nutshell why is that better because i don't think we get called by worse enough and we have a hand that blocks you know, hero calls. So what we're ending up doing is we allow ourselves to be bluffed for the entire pot. If he shoves, if he has like ace queen with a diamond, for instance, or with a heart, with a yeah. heart, uh, it's a great bluffing opportunity for him to say like, oh, well, I guess you don't have the nuts because I have the ace, so I'm just gonna push it in your face. And here we are with top pair blocker to the straight and. Now it's us having the really shitty decision right? <laughs> yeah, because we yeah. know that he's he's like if he if he finds himself with this type of combo he he's probably gonna go for it right yeah so I, now mean, we, I can tell you Tony is more than capable even before he won four million dollars he's more than capable of of making all those plays you just described yeah exactly so now by 
you know, treading ever so slightly across the line, we allowed ourselves with a hand that really doesn't like getting bluffed to be bluffed for like, you know, bluffing our pants and our shoes off, you know. <laughs> uh, and by doing so also, we expose ourselves in our checking line because we're going to be leading a very high frequency on this river and we need to have some hands that makes for really good calls on the river as we check. So it plays or, better overall as a bluff catcher. Right, right. right. And, you know, like if he goes all in on the river, we have a really tough decision. Uh, but our hand is going to perform really well in this line against a tough player. And then you just have to look him dead in the eye and say, do you have it? <laughs> you know? And watch them crumble under the your stare. real poker. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, if you're out there and you're wondering, you know, what you need to do in order to play at a high level, in high stakes, major events. Just so you know, Anton is typical of what some of your opponents will be doing mentally away from the table. So you've got to be willing to put in the work to get this good, or else you will essentially be drawing dead <laughs> versus the likes of Anton Wig. So, yeah, I mean, uh, every time I talk poker with you, it expands my my thinking and my, my overall poker knowledge and just you know the way you approach the game. What I really like about this is that you, you believe in theory. You understand that the solver is absolutely essential. Nowadays, if you're not working with solvers at all, you are being left behind because people are doing that work, right? But you also understand the importance of finding your opponent's mistakes and that that's better like if you can actually identify someone's mistake, that's really where the money comes from because all the solver can teach you to do is how to be unbeatable. It doesn't teach you how to be most profitable, right? Yeah, and, and another note as well, like another note is not just the theoretical work. The theoretical work is, let's call it the preparation. Yeah. But the actual work that you do is, of course, you need to be be able to identify these things, but then to be in a state of mind where you can identify these things, where you're not, you know, either thrown into a loop of like, oh my God, what if he shoves on me here? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's, that's, that's like the only thing that runs through your head when you're playing a pot on the river. Like, you know, like you have to be coherent and you have to be in this triple threat mindset in order to even be able to make rational decisions. So, you know, Dune quote, fear is the mind killer, you know? And how to avoid those things is to come well prepared and to be coherent, to think about things in a chain of logic uh, events or like you paid attention in the pod previously. You saw that this guy, he did this one thing with his chips or his back is really straight when he has a really good hand. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I think a lot of the edge comes from being present and... Um, from that point of view, you can really do more than just the theory. The theory makes it so that you can relax. The theory makes it so that you know that the play that you make is fundamentally strong. But then you also have to have the mental awareness and readiness and energy levels in order to execute those and pick up on like small pieces of information that can lead you to making a more educated decision. And I find that this is something that all the strongest players have Except for the people that are very good at executing like robotic strategies. Uh, I think all the very high level players, they're very good at 
paying attention at being there and being present and think through things and not have all these emotions coming up in when playing a poker hand and again i think our job is to do that during the hand you know like someone is like continuing a conversation you're like please i i need to focus on on this hand and then we can get back to talking but as soon as the hand is over you just leave that there or if you're curious about the hand take down a note do the work off the tables and the next time you're going to run into the same situation you're going to be prepared instead of just you know oh my god i played that hand like shit and now i'm going to shovel it into <laughs> the pile of shit hands that i played throughout my career <laughs> and uh, and not learn anything not from learning. it right like yeah. then you're ending up in the same spot and you're like what was it again i don't remember i'm just gonna please don't raise me <laughs> yeah and yeah. putting yourself in those vulnerable uh circumstances where you might end up being victim again to someone putting you in that awful spot because you allowed yourself you left your yourself open it's almost like a boxer who lets his guard down yeah. we can't do that in poker that You've got to play defense too, right? So just a little like encouragement for, for people that it's like, it's not just, you can meet a lot of people that are, have studied more theory than you have. But if you're in a more ready, set, go position, you're going to outperform them every time. And that it's just having, uh, having grit and persistence and, and finding a way that works for you. You know, like it's, uh, it's not a golden bullet like one thing uh, this this one pill is gonna take care of everyone's problems like everyone is different people have different styles of playing and i think uh i think if we can maintain the energy to to be present uh then we're also getting the results we want long term and if you can if you can do whatever you need to do off the table whether it's studying or working out or taking 10 minutes a day to think about the things that you want to think about, uh, I think that's where you're going to get the biggest edge. So you're just, you're just taking it away from this, like, you have to kind of solve the game to be the best. I think starting at the right point and understanding, like, what are the driving forces behind it? And then figuring out, so how can I do this in a way that fits me in my personal life and that makes sure that I'm not just not just a poker player, but that I'm also like there and present for my friends and family and all these other things that makes me have good energy and that makes me feel like I'm in the right place at the right time, you know? Well, you do have good energy. Yeah, I mean, I always love being around you and a lot of that has to do with the energy that you give off. I feel like you, you, you love everybody until they give you a reason not to and then you just disregard them. But that there's not a lot of hate in your heart. It's like either love or disregard, but not a lot of hate. And I always love that about you. I know you don't do a lot of interviews, and I know you. I kept you way too long on this one. You're going to be late for your dinner appointment, <laughs> which I'm very sorry. It's just I didn't want to stop you when you were dropping all that knowledge. So I'm going to let you go, and I, I just want to thank you for being a rare, uh, you know, giving us a rare chance to, to talk to you and get inside your, your brilliant mind just a little bit. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Arigato, 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 arigato. Is there anything that people should know? Do you want them to follow you on Instagram or what's happening? You want to reveal any uh, projects you have in the works? Anything at all you want to tell everybody about? Uh, well, 
If you have any questions or if you need help with anything or, you know, if you want a week free on the Waking uh, Waking Up app uh, for meditation and mindfulness, uh, my only social media that is open to the public is my Twitter. So it's Anton underscore W-I-G-G. Not sure why I picked underscore, but hey, there it is. There it is. Um, So, yeah, if you want to get in touch, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, And yeah, you know. Stay present, stay happy, stay humble, and don't forget to have fun. Be present, be prepared, be a triple threat. Anton Wig, it's at Anton underscore Wig, W-I-G-G. Follow him on Twitter. I promise you will be glad that you did. Anton, thank you so much for being with us today. So for Anton Wig and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I wanna hold them like they do in Texas plays. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. Lock in intuition, play the cards with babes to start. And after she's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on her heart. Yeah.